The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're in a series right now called I Am. So get your notes out. Get your Being Transformed journals out. Who's got their Being Transformed journal? Good for you. If you don't have a Being Transformed journal, you can pick one up in the lobby. Make sure you grab one of those. You get out the New Song app. You can follow along. All my notes are in there. John chapter 14. We're in a series called I Am. We're talking about the I Am statements of Jesus. We're in week number five of this seven-part series where we're, we're learning Jesus, we're learning about Jesus according to Jesus, right? Jesus is giving us revelation into who he is, what he's all about. And if you remember, there's an eighth I am statement that's, that's way back in the book of Exodus, where God says, my name is I am. And Jesus is using that same thing. And so as he talks about the I am statements, and so God is giving us revelation of who he is through his son, Jesus. So as we look at these I am statements, not only are we learning about who Jesus is, but because Jesus is God, we're learning about who God is. So this has been a great series. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I hope you've been ministered to through it. And today, we're going to look at the I am statement. It's actually three I am statements in one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're ready, say, let's go. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for a full church. I'm grateful for it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there be more people drawn to what God is doing here. In fact, right now, Lord, we just say, Lord, use us to reach out. I pray that you would use the ladies in our church this week. Help them to know what to say, how to say it, how to make that invitation. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to show up at, at, at Love His. You're going to minister in a powerful way. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. And Lord, over the next few moments as we look at your word, we pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. We pray that you would help us to see what needs to change in our life. Uh, give us revelation and wisdom. Lord, what needs to be corrected? We, we say we want to be corrected. We want to be a better version of who it is you've called us to be than we currently are. We want to leave here better than how we came into this place. So Lord, what we know not, we pray you would teach us. What we are not, we pray that you would please make us. And what we have not, we pray that you would please give us. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to get into the I am statement, but before I get into that, I got to kind of set this up a little bit because Jesus gives us some revelation at the beginning of John that points us to why this, this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life is so powerful. So, so kind of let me refresh you on what's going on. John chapter 14, Jesus is in uh, Jerusalem. He's in the upper room with his disciples he has washed their feet. He's had the triumphal entry. They've taken the Lord's Supper together. And now he's beginning to, to talk to them and speak comfort to them because, because the wheels are, are well in motion to the cross taking place. In fact, from this moment in Scripture, in 24 hours from this moment, Jesus is going to be in a tomb. And so he's talking to his disciples. Things are moving along. Judas is already gone. The betrayal's already taken place. And Jesus has been speaking to them, and he's giving them wisdom and, and some revelation into what's going to take place even with them, and it's, and it's to comfort them. Like he's told them, there is a betrayer, there's a traitor among you. He lets them know that all of you are going to deny me, all of you are going to deny me, and he lets them know that he's going to be gone. And so it's been a bit of an awkward dinner. <laughs> it's been a little awkward. 
But more than awkward, it's been troubling. Because like, think about you're hearing this kind of stuff that's, that's very troubling for them. And they don't even know the half of it because they, really, they still don't really get what's getting ready to happen. And so Jesus is talking to disciples who are troubled and who are going to experience trouble. And he's letting them know what can bring peace to them and hope to their heart. Look at this, John chapter 14, starting verse 1. He says this, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So right off the bat here, Jesus uh, speaks to a truth that's extremely important for you to come to terms with in your life. And here it is. It's possible to have a troubled life, but an untroubled heart. It's possible for you to, to live in a world where you are troubled by the circumstances of life and yet have a peace inside of you in the middle of that. And this is good news because a few chapters later in John 16, verse 33, Jesus lets us in on something. In this world, you're going to have trouble. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he says, uh, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, why does, does Jesus, why can we take heart? Like, in other words, have confidence about yourself. Why can we have a confidence in the fact that Jesus has overcome? Well, here's why. Because Jesus, we can be in Christ, Jesus. And because we're in Christ, we can have Jesus with us. So we can know that no matter what we're facing, because God is with us, we can be in trouble. We can have troubling circumstances and yet be at peace because we know that God is in the middle of the circumstance that we're dealing with. And because he has victory, we can have victory. It's, it's kind of like this. I want you to imagine this scenario with me. I got an eight-year-old daughter. Her name is Sunny. Both of her front teeth are missing right now. She's awesome. But imagine she comes up to me and she says, Dad, I, I'm troubled. I'm in second grade, Dad, as you know, and I'm troubled. She says, Dad, I, we're, we're doing multiplication right now, and we've been multiplying by sevens, and I'm just letting you know, Dad, this is troubling. I'm, I'm struggling with it. I start off pretty good. But as I get down the line, I, you know, seven times four, seven times five, seven times six, whoo, it gets troubling. And the problem is, the problem is if I don't pass, I'm going to get stuck in second grade. I could be stuck in second grade forever. Dad, I'm troubled. I'm going to look at her and I'm going to say, Sonny, take heart. Because I have overcome multiplying by sevens. Now, why can she take heart in that? Because I love her. I'm with her, and since I have defeated her problem, are you, are you getting this? Since I have defeated the problem, the struggle of her life, and because I'm with her, we together are going to overcome multiplying by sevens. We're going to walk this out together. I'm going to help you figure out seven times seven. It's 49. We got this, girl. We got this. I'm going to walk this out with you because you're with me and I'm with you. Listen, this is the same reality that we find ourselves in as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated whatever it is you're struggling with. He defeated it at the cross. In fact, when it talks about be a good cheer and this idea of, of our troubles, the idea is that Jesus defeated something in the past that affects your present and your future. How many know that's exactly what Jesus did? He defeated sin, death, hell, the grave. He defeated all that in the past at the cross. And now because he defeated it in the past, it affects your present and it affects your future. Can I get an amen? amen. So no matter what you're facing, we can, we can be facing troubles and yet be untroubled in our heart because the one who overcame is with us. I remember a few years ago, um, Sarah and I were kind of in a, a troubling situation. We had moved our family to Dallas, Texas to be a part of a church. 
And at this time, we had grown up in Tulsa, both of us. That's all we knew. Like our whole life, all our friends were in Tulsa. Our life was in Tulsa. Family was in Tulsa. We had a home in Tulsa. We just had a little baby boy. He was one year old. He was just a little guy at the time. But, but we felt like God was calling us to move to Frisco, Texas to be a part of this church. And so I remember we went up and we visited the church one weekend to kind of check it out. And I remember like I, was, like, I, I liked the church okay, but, but there was this, this thing inside of me, like this piece that I had of like, this is where we're called to go. We're supposed to go here. And it was weird because, uh, you know, there was things about the church I liked and things I didn't like a lot. And it was the same thing. I remember Sarah and, I, uh, and me driving home from Dallas and we were kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't just love the church, but I just really feel strong. Like God is telling us we're supposed to go here. We're supposed to be a part of this. And I kind of thought at the time, well, maybe, here's what, maybe, I was young, maybe God's calling us to come here and we're going to be you know, the catalyst for change that brings the change to this church that needs to take place. Which, just so you know, that's the same mindset that, that a girl has when she says, well, he's a dirtbag, but maybe if I marry him, then I can change him. Bad idea, ladies. Bad idea. Okay? Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. If he's a dirtbag, go to marriage counseling. We'll help you out. Okay? All right, here we go. So we decided, but we, but we felt good. We felt like God is calling us to go. So we, so we moved. We, we sold our house in Tulsa. We bought a house in, 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 in Frisco. Uh, we, we packed up, moved everything, said goodbye to our family. I mean, I mean, it was a big deal. And we're there. And, and immediately after getting there, we were like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Like, this is not a good situation. And then six months into being there, I was in a meeting on a Monday. That next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and I'm in a meeting on a Monday, and we discover in this meeting that the pastor has been living a double life. He's had multiple uh, moral failures. The finances of the church are chaotic. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, what have I got us into? Like I've moved us here. Like we're going to have Easter Sunday, and then it's like, okay, we're done. Like we... This is over. And I, so I was very troubling. Like, I don't know what, in the, in the natural, I have no idea what my future looks like. And yet, there was this peace that I had in the middle of this. The Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. That's exactly what I had. Because in my understanding, I did, I did not, like nothing you could have told me then would give me peace other than trust in Jesus. But I had this peace. And so we, we walk out that situation, and, and to make a long story short, we end up out of that situation getting connected to a church in Dallas called Gateway Church, which I became a pastor at that church, got to serve at that church for the next six years. It's one of the biggest, most influential churches in, in the entire country. I got to sit under an incredibly healthy culture of the church, sit under great leadership, learned a ton, and then when it came time for us to plant new song, they sent us here and helped us get here. And what I discovered was, here's what I discovered, that God brought us there for Gateway. He used this other church to kind of get us where he wanted us to be. But, but here's what I want you to really see. In the middle of a troubling situation, I had peace because I may not have the answer in the natural, but I had the answerer by my side. And so you can have trouble and yet be untroubled because you have the God who overcomes every situation, every circumstance with you. So it says this, verse 2, we'll keep reading. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're troubled. They're facing trouble. He's let them know, I'm going to be with you. 
He lets him know a little bit later, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who's going to be just like me. You're going to have God with you all the time. And he says this in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. Who's his Father? God, right? So he's talking about, what's he talking about here? He's talking about heaven. So he starts to then point them to a future home. Look at this. Uh, if, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'd encourage you to underline that. That's such good news. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that, that there I am, there you may be also. We'll be together with God. We'll be together with Jesus in this perfect place. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, how many of you in here have ever experienced being homesick before? If you've ever been homesick, think about that before. Okay, think of, actually think of this situation in your life, the scenario in your life where you felt homesick. Think of that time when you were a little kid or you were a little bit older, maybe for you, it was when you went away to camp when you were a little kid. I remember going to camp when I was seven years old, 1987, Dry Gulch, USA, the first ever session at Dry Gulch, USA. I was there. I was in my little bunk. I had a great time. And then every night I was terrified. I remember sitting on my little plastic mattress. Remember those mattresses are crinkly, you know, laying on my little plastic mattress in my GI Joe sleeping bag. Yo, Joe, what's up? Laying there looking at this window and just imagining there is a, there's a, some kind of snake that's coming through that window. It's going to choke me out in my sleep. It's going to happen. I go to my counselor. I need to call my mom. I need my mom. I was homesick. I need to call my mom. You can't call your mom. Why can't I call my mom? Your mom's in Hawaii. <laughs> Solid move, Nana and Papa. <laughs> Send the kids to camp. We going to Hawaii. <laughs> but I was homesick. I wanted my mama. I, I remember a little bit later in life, I got out of high school and me and some buddies decided to get an apartment together. It sounded really good. Sounded really great. Me and my buddies were gonna be hanging out together all the time. It's like a sleepover forever. It was not good. We were nasty people. We were selfish. I remember I got about a month into living in this apartment with my three friends. I got the flu and I was so sick. And I was used to being at home with my mom. And when you're sick, like it was kind of awesome to be sick. She treated you so good. She's like, let me go rent you a movie. Let me let me take care of every need you possibly could ever have right now. That was my mom. Anyway, my buddies weren't like that. They could have given a rip that I was sick. I remember laying in my little mattress. I had a mattress on the floor. That was my setup in my room. Mattress on the floor, laying there, sick, dehydrated, just thinking, I want my mom. And so I got in my car and I drove the mile and a half home. So that, and I walked in and sure enough, mom was there. She was ready. It was great. I never went back to the apartment. I paid rent for the next three months and didn't live there because it's just like, I'm done. You guys can have my money. Just I'm going home. But here's the point. Here's the point. There's something about being home. And when you're away from home, we want to be home. There's like this ache inside of us to be at home because when we're home, like you're, you know, you're home, you're comfortable, things feel right, it feels safe, you feel secure, you feel like you know, there's a, familiar, a familiarity to being at home, there's a sense of belonging, there's, there's you being with the people you love and, and having them with you, like it's so, it's so good. And, and whether you recognize this or not, inside of every person in here, 
whether you're a Christian or not, inside of every one of you is this ache in your heart to home. Like you're homesick for a home that you've never really even been to. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Listen, you were made for another world. The Bible says it like this in Philippians 3.20. Our homeland is in heaven where our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, and we are looking forward to His return from there. Heaven is our home. Heaven is a, is, is a promise and a hope that we as believers can have. Yes, Jesus will be with us in this earth, but the, a greater truth for us to sink our teeth into is that there's the reality that someday we're going to get to escape the troubles of this world. We're not going to have those troubles anymore. We're going to be with God in this perfect place and perfect community with a perfect heavenly Father. Our, uh, all of the things, even right now, even when we're, we're here in this earth and we're experiencing our relationship with God, we're still bound by certain things like the culture of this world and a sin nature. Someday all that stuff is going to be gone. You'll actually be able to tap into parts of your mind. You're not even like, there's, there's things we're going to experience and things we're going to understand that we can't even begin to wrap our brain around. That's a promise of someday that's going to happen. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to prepare this place for you. And you know what? It's such a great picture of love because that's what love does. Love prepares a place. If you're taking notes, write that down. Love prepares a place I remember years ago when uh, Sarah and I were wanting to start our family, wanted to start having children, and we had a, about a two-year journey to get pregnant and have a baby. And during that journey, uh, about a year into it, we, we decided we wanted to take some kind of steps of faith to start preparing for this baby that we were believing God he was, God was going to give us. And so I remember the Saturday. I remember it so well. I remember going out and we had this shelf that was in our garage that was out of one of the, the bookshelves in our house. We weren't using it was this big black shelf and we brought it into the house and then Sarah began to to go in through magazines this is before Instagram before Pinterest all that kind of stuff you know you couldn't have a Pinterest board like we literally she was making a Pinterest board before there was a Pinterest board but she went through Pottery Barn Kids magazines and she was cutting out like the crib that she wanted and the changing table that she wanted and the rocking chair and the books that she wanted to have and she just started to kind of build it on this on this little this little board that we had. And she put it all on there, and I remember looking at it and being like, how much is this going to be? <laughs> okay, God, you're going to need to show up because that's like a half a year of my salary right now. But then we, we, we took it a step further. We were like, okay, this is going to be the nursery. What are we going to do? We, let's paint this nursery. So we went to Lowe's, and we looked at paint colors for like two hours, and we're going, we don't know if we're having a boy or a girl, so what do we paint? Let's paint it, let's paint it green. Which shade of green? We're looking at all these greens. And then I remember going home and we decided we we're going to put this white stripe through the middle of it. And I wanted that white stripe to be perfectly level because I'm a designer and stuff like this is really important to me. So I remember getting out my level and making sure it was perfect all the way across and spending hours making this nursery. And then we just began to believe God and pray. And it was amazing how God just provided. And things, all of a sudden, things start coming in. We buy our changing table and we get this, 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 uh, this crib given to us. And we just start filling it up to the point that the day that we brought Gus home from the hospital, they delivered our rocking chair that morning. And we brought him home to a room that was prepared for him in love. We were thinking about him, preparing a place so that we could be with him and him to be, he could be with us. This is what love does. Love prepares a place. And I want you to know Jesus is preparing a place for you. 
because he loves you and he knows you. He knows you so well. And he's preparing a specific place with you in mind where you can, the word place means an abiding place, where you can abide with him. You can be connected with him. Listen, that's the promise of heaven. That's the good news of heaven. That's the hope of heaven. It's not that, you know, the streets are gold and there's pearly gates. Like, that's fine. But let me remind you, when you were homesick, you weren't homesick for just your stuff. You were homesick for the relationships that you value. And whether you recognize this or not, let me let you in on something. God is home. God is home. That homesick feeling that you have inside of you, that ache that we all have, that's a desire to be with God, to be connected with Him the way that we're supposed to be. And it's through Jesus that we're able to have that. And that's where Jesus goes from here. Look at this with me. Look at verse 4, John chapter 14, verse 4. Here's the the I am statements we're getting ready to get into. And where I go, Jesus says, you know, and the way you know. Now, I love this next verse because I love Thomas's approach to this whole thing. He says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? I love Tom. He's just like, Jesus, I don't get it. Like, you've been talking to us in these parables for the last few years. And I'm just going to be real. I don't get it. And let me just tell you, that's a great way to approach God. That's a great way to approach a lot of situations. This week, I was meeting with some guys here in the church. We're, we're, we're going through the plans for the building. We're talking about sewage lines and all sorts of stuff that I don't understand. And you could ask them in the meeting. They'd be talking about stuff, and I would just go, I don't get it. I don't, understand. I don't know what you're talking about. What, what are you talking about? And then they would tell me, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. But I'm not going to pretend like, yeah, okay, yeah, I like that version of pipe. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a great way to approach life. You don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Because listen, especially with God, like he doesn't look at you and go, you idiot. Why don't you get it? Like that's not what Jesus says to Tom. Jesus is like, listen, Tom, here's the deal. He says, verse six, our I am statement. He says, I am the way. This way that you, I'm talking to you about, I'm the way. But then he takes it a step further. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This life that I'm talking to you about, being connected with me here on this earth, that comes through me. This life in heaven that I'm talking to you about, pointing you towards, that comes through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen, this is an all-in statement that Jesus makes. This is a statement that claims deity. Jesus doesn't say, if you follow me, I can show you some different ways doesn't say that. He says, I'm the way. He doesn't say, I, let, me, let me show you some, some truths that you can look at. And, you know, you can pick the one that works best for you. No, no, no. He says, I'm the truth. Let me, let me point you towards some, some avenues through which you can find life. No, he says, I'm the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When he makes this statement, it's an all-in statement. And based on this statement, it's either true, and he is who he says he is. He is Lord or he's lying. Like if you say, well, I love Jesus. He's great, but I don't, I don't really believe he's the way. What you're saying in that moment is, is I think he lied. Because he claims here, I'm the way, the truth, and life. So if you say, I, I don't really, I'm not really on board with that, what you're saying is Jesus is a liar. And if you're saying that, how can you trust anything that Jesus says? He's either who he says he is, he's Lord, or he's a liar and a lunatic. 
Uh, look at how C.S. Lewis puts it. C.S. Lewis. C.S. He gets it. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, <laughs> or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. That's a choice every one of us has to make. He says, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with a patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to uh, someone say, see yes. See yes ain't playing around. But, but here's the truth here. Like, it's an all-in statement. And if it's true, and let me just let you know on something, it is. The good news is, when you don't know which way to go, you can turn to Jesus because He's the way. When you don't know what truth to, to sink your life on and build your life on, you can turn to Jesus because He's the truth. And when you feel like you're ready to kind of end this thing, it's not going so good, you feel dead inside, you can turn to Jesus because He is the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So let's break it down. I am the way. Take a notes, write this down. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to heaven, and He's the only way. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in the world that we live in today, the quote-unquote woke world that we live in today, people don't like this. I don't, I don't like that Jesus is the way and He's the only way. That's, I don't... That doesn't jive with me. I want my options. That feels, that feels exclusive to me. You need to be more inclusive. I want to be able to choose my way. I, I want to be comfortable with the way that I want to go. This, this doesn't feel like right. This feels like this is a problem for me. Well, first of all, let me just remind you that this is not my teaching. This is the teaching of Jesus. And if he's Lord, then he's right. So you have to make that choice. And he is right. And so, so yes, it is exclusive in a sense that there's only one way to get to God the Father. There's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to get to the, the life that God offers you. But it's inclusive in that everyone's invited. Like you realize, like Christianity is the only religion that's that way. A lot of religions, there's a lot of things that say, ah, certain people, you're not invited, you're not okay. But, but that's, that's, the, that's the relationship we can have. Jesus is the way. It's exclusive, and yet it's inclusive because you're all invited. Okay, so let me, let me try to help you understand this. Imagine that me and you are standing outside of my home, and we're looking at my home, and you look at me and you say, you know what, Josh, I would love to go in your house. I'd love to go in there and just hang out with your family, have dinner with you guys, just be with you and your family, maybe have a game night, play some Settlers of Catan, do something like that, eat some pigs in a blanket, whatever. I just kind of fellowship. I want to fellowship with you. I would say, you know what? That sounds good. Let's do this. Come on, follow me. We're going to go through my front door. This is the way into my home. Follow me. You say, oh, hold on, hold on. I don't like your door. I'm not, I'm not really very comfortable with that door. It just, I don't know, feels a, little, feels a little exclusive to me. I would like, I would actually, I have a door about a mile and a half away from here. I really like my door. I'm really comfortable with it. I vibe good with my door. It's color that feels, feels good to me. I like the way it feels. 
It's a good door. It's a good door. I want to go through my door. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to go through my door, but I want to arrive at your home. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, Charlie, but it don't work that way. If you want to go into my home, you've got to go through my door because my door is the way into my home. You look at me, you say, you are such a jerk. How dare you? You are so exclusive. You don't want to include me. No, no, listen, you're included. You can come in. The door's open. I'll welcome you in. He says, just, you, you're, just, you're just being difficult. I'm not trying to be difficult. Am I trying to be difficult? No, I'm not trying to be difficult. But the reality is, if you want to get into my house, you got to go through my door. Because that's the way in. Now listen, something that's important for you to understand. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus said, I am the door. Remember that? Jesus is the door through which we get to a perfect, holy God. Let me remind you that without Jesus, you are dead in your sins. And because you're dead in your sins, you cannot be connected to a holy, perfect God. And so Jesus is the way. It's through Him that you can experience the forgiveness of God. It's through Him that you can exchange the deadness of your sin for His grace and His mercy. So yes, it's exclusive in that He's the only way, but it's inclusive in that you're invited. And He's the only way. He's the only one who could do what was necessary to get you in a position right with God. You say, well, that just seems difficult. I don't like it. I want my options. Well, think about this for just a moment. Let's take that concept to the cross. Imagine that you're standing at the cross. Jesus is hung on that cross. He's got nails driven through his hands and his feet, a crown of thorns on his head. He is beaten to the point that his visage is marred beyond that of a human form. Above his head is a sign that mocks him. He's naked, suffering as the sin of all this world is being poured out on him. You stand before that cross, you look at that Jesus in that state, and you say, Jesus, this is a great start, but I need more options. What an offense that is to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see that? And let me just remind you, if there were other options, why would God himself come to this earth, wrap himself in flesh and allow himself to go through that? Why would he do that? If there was multiple ways, you pick your way. I'm going to do this insanely loving, incredibly gracious thing over here, but there's other ways you can get to God too. No, no, no. Jesus is the way because only he could do what was necessary. Only he could live a perfect life and die in your stead. And it's through him. It's through the work that he did on the cross that you can be brought before a holy, perfect God and have communion. Jesus is the way. Can I get an amen? He's the way and he's the only way to God. Here's the second thing he says. I am the truth. Somebody say, he's the truth, son. Jesus is the truth. He's the truth. Jesus, what you see in Jesus is he gives you an image of what God is really like. And we live in an interesting time. We live in a time where, you know, we've got stuff like Photoshop. And you guys may not know this, but before I was a pastor, I was a graphic designer. And I actually have some serious Photoshop skills. I, I do. You can ask our staff. I will take different members of our staff from time to time. I will put their head on the bodies of other things. And it's awesome. It's awesome. You just got to wait for it. It's going to happen. But when I do that, like I'm giving an image that's not really a true image. And that's possible. And there's some stuff that we can look at it and you go, what is that really like, how do we get the image of God? Well, here's how you get the image of God. You get it through Jesus. Look at what Jesus says about this in John chapter 14, verse nine. He says, he who has seen me has seen the father. 
So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So in other words, he's saying, I look like God, I talk like God, I'm acting like God. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works that I do themselves. So if you want to know what God looks like, you want to know what God think, how God thinks, how God sees you, you want to know how you relate to God, you, you, you discover that by looking at the life of Jesus in Scripture. And what you see displayed through the image of Jesus Christ in Scripture displays the image of God to you. And this is big, and here's why it's so big, because how you see someone is a big deal in how you relate to someone. So if you don't see God the right way, then you're going to relate to him the wrong way. Like if you think God is like this tyrannical kind of judge, police officer, just looking to catch you doing something wrong so that he can, you know, take you out and, and judge you. Like if you see God that way, you're going to have a hard time relating to him the right way. If you see God is like, or Jesus is like your homeboy, you know, that's kind of a popular thing these days. You're going to have a hard time believing what he says when he talks to you about stuff like sin. And he says, you know, you need to. You need to deal with this sin thing. This is hurting you. This is why I, I went to the cross to die so that you could be free from this sin. You're like, oh, Jesus, come on now. It's all good. You're my homeboy. No, no. You got to see Jesus the right way. If you see God as like this, this, this God who kind of set the earth in motion and then he just kind of steps back and just whatever will be, will be, you're going to have a hard time feeling like, you can, you can be close to him and you can be transparent with him. You can be close with him and with, with his people. If you see God the wrong way, you're going to have a hard time connecting with him the right way. And so Jesus came and Jesus gives us a clear picture of what the heart of God is really like. So you want to know what God's like? Like, look at scripture. You, you think God's out to get you? Let me just remind you of some different stories in the Bible. You guys know the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery? John chapter 8. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. In the act of adultery. They bring her before God. They bring her before Jesus. They throw her at Jesus' feet and say, Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Like they ripped her out of the bed. I don't know where the dude is, but we got the girl there. That's a whole other thing. Verse 5, the law of Moses says that we're to stone her. We're to kill her. What do you say? Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust, with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and said, All right, whichever one of you is without sin, you go ahead, you throw the first stone. Now, let me just remind you in this scenario, there's only one person there without sin, and that is Jesus. So, in this moment, Jesus has the right to throw the first stone. He has the right to bring an accusation against this woman, but Jesus, displaying the image of God, displays an image that says, that's not what I'm looking to do. I'm not looking to bring the hammer down on you. I am a God who is slow to anger and rich in mercy. I love you and I want to bring you into fellowship, not separate you and punish you. So you want to know what God looks like? You look at Jesus. There's a story in Luke chapter 7 where a widow is going to bury her son. There's a funeral procession going by and her son has died and and these people are mourning and they're broken over what has just happened. And Jesus sees this. It says in Luke 7, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw her, his heart, notice these words, his heart went out to her. Like that's the heart of God. Like he sees her in her pain. He sees her hurting. His heart goes out to her and he says, don't cry. Listen, you're hurting today. God sees you in your pain. 
He sees you. And notice, like, it doesn't say that, like, she sang a really beautiful song and it got his attention. It doesn't say, like, she gave this incredible offering, this incredible tithe, and, and that won the attention of Jesus. It doesn't say she, you know, she, she prayed a perfect prayer in faith and that got Jesus' attention. No, no. It doesn't, it doesn't even say that Jesus, that she saw Jesus. It says Jesus saw her. Listen, Jesus loves you. He sees you. And he wants to bring resurrection to what feels dead in your life. In fact, look at what it goes on to say here. Verse 14, he goes over to this child who's, who's dead. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. Does that sound like a distant God to you? A God who doesn't care about what's going on in your life? To me, it sounds like a God who sees you, loves you, and wants to bring resurrection to those areas of your life that feel like they are dead and gone. That's the God that we serve. Listen, Jesus is the truth. He's the truth about God. When you look at Jesus, you see a real picture of the heart and love of God for your life. Jesus is the truth. He's the truth, son. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth of God. And here's number three. Jesus is the life of God. He's the life of God. He is the source of life, and it's through Him that we're able to have true, real life. And again, this is incredible news because our problem is a death problem. Like your problem, the sin problem that we all struggle with is not a, you were bad. It's you's dead. That's the sin problem. You dead. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you receive for something that you did. What you deserve for the sin that you committed is death. It's do you. You deserve that. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all sinned and all of us deserve death. And apart from Jesus, that's where you are. You're dead in your sins. Spiritually speaking, you're dead in your sins. And when you're dead, you can't be connected in that dead sinful state. You cannot be connected to a holy God. You can't. He's perfect. He's holy. He can't be around that. In fact, the Bible says he can't even look at that. Look at this with me. Habakkuk 1.13. Before your holy eyes, sin may not be seen, and you are unable to put up with wrong. God in His holiness, in His perfection, He can't even look at your sin. That's why in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 45, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the Bible says that the entire earth became dark. Like, and it wasn't like it was nighttime in Israel, and, and then you know on the other side of the earth it was, it was daytime. No, the entire earth went into this place of darkness. Why? Because all of the sin and the wrath of God was being completely poured out on His Son in that moment. For three hours, the entirety of every sin you will ever commit, every sin every person in this room will ever commit in the past, present, future, all of it was poured out on Jesus in that moment. Listen, Jesus didn't just die for your sin. He died as your sin. You get that, right? He became your sin. He became sin. So in this moment, as he's becoming sin, what does he do? It says he cries out to his father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's why. Because he became sin. And a perfect holy God couldn't be connected. So God had to turn his face away from his son. And for the first time in eternal history, God and the son were separated. God was separated from his father. And here's why he did it. So you, through him, could be connected to his father. 
Now through Him, you can exchange what you deserve for what Jesus didn't deserve. He didn't deserve that because He was free from sin His whole life. But He took on your sin and He took the wage of sin when He didn't deserve it. And now through Him, you can exchange what you deserve for what Jesus gives you. Grace, forgiveness. You can be made free. You can be made holy. And now because you're made free and holy, you can connect with a holy, perfect God. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's through Jesus that you're able to have life with God. It's through Jesus that you're able to come to life because you were dead. But through Him, you can come to life. And it's only through Him that you will experience real life. You may, you may live in this world and you may be able to accumulate a lot of stuff, make a lot of money, have a nice house, have a nice car, marry the person that, you know, a lot of people would say, man, that's, that's a good goal there to marry that person. Be, be able to have a nice, you know, car, nice, nice family, all that kind of stuff. And you may feel okay, but you're going to lay your head down at night. And when you get really quiet and you're all by yourself, there's going to be this thought that runs through your mind. This ain't home. This homesick feeling will come over you. Why? Because listen, God is home. God is home. And Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth of God. Jesus is the life of God. It's only through Jesus that you can have all those things that God wants you to have. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.